You're listening to a sermon preached at Redeeming Life Church. If you would like to grab your Bible and join me, I'm going to be in the 23rd Psalm. Taking a, a brief pause from Romans, if you were expecting the Roman series, if you weren't here last week, we're going through the 23rd Psalm for seven weeks. If you would like to make your way there, if you're using one of those Bibles in the, in the seat tray, that'll be on page 843, the 23rd Psalm. Some of you probably know it well. Some of you probably need to know it a little better, and that's why we're going through it. Let's go ahead and read this together. I'm going to read the whole Psalm. We're going to do that every week so we have the context, and then we're going to drill down into just the first verse. But let's read the whole thing together. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his namesake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you are the good shepherd, that these, these statements about you and in turn, the statements about who we are when you are our shepherd are true. And Lord, we can rely on you and trust you, which makes it easy to hear your voice and follow you and obey you. And so we thank you for that. Lord, as we now look at this first verse, and as we think a little more deeply on who you are as the good shepherd, speak to us profoundly and boldly. Lord, for those who might be watching online, who just maybe are encountering us for the first time because of the, the mission work of the door hanger, Lord, uh, may they see you. For those who are in here and are accustomed to being in here, may we not fall into any kind of a rote sort of check the box, but Lord, let us see how good you are. And Lord, please transform us by your hand. It is in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> okay, last Sunday, I went through the big picture of the 23rd Psalm. We, we looked at kind of the whole thing, what it looks like from a 30,000 foot view, how we should understand it. And, and I made a claim I said, if we really want to know Jesus and who he is, we have to know him as the good shepherd. This has to be, when we read this, our picture of Jesus, if we really want to know who he is. Well, today, I'm going to drill down a little bit just into this first verse. And we're going to see, because we're going to work through this, uh, uh, basically a clause at a time, a verse at a time. So I'm going to go back now. I'm just going to read the first verse. Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. My point today is not to shroud anything in mystery, not to be complicated, to try to make this clear and visible. And so it should be pretty simple. It's not difficult. It's not secret. Here's the, here's the point. If Jesus is your shepherd, you have what you need. That's not tough. Nothing complicated there. If Jesus is your shepherd, you have what you need. So let's go ahead and dig into what this looks like. It's poetry. <clears throat> Excuse me. This verse is, this whole thing is, is a poem. So we have a clause and a clause, and they go together in certain ways, and they do certain things together. And so the, 
The first part is the chief statement, the head statement, or, or there's some other technical poetry terms, but we'll just call it the, the main statement. And the second part is the complement. It complements the chief statement with a little more detail, or it rounds out some of those pieces. It gives us something just a little more tied to the first part. So the first part, the chief statement, the Lord is my shepherd. The complementary statement, I have what I need. So we don't cut the chief part away and just start with I have what I need. We have to have that first part. That's how these fit together. So this is how I'm going to break up my time. First part, second part. That's not rocket science here. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, we, we know what a shepherd is, most of us. We have a pretty good idea. Maybe we've seen paintings of a shepherd with a sheep on his shoulder or out in the field. We, we have a good idea. We have a picture on the screen of a shepherd. We know what a shepherd is. But this says, the Lord is my shepherd. See, when we read it like that, it becomes far more significant because often we're thinking about it as the Lord is a shepherd or the Lord is even the shepherd, not the Lord is my shepherd. And when we read it incorrectly that way, what we have is we have a picture of what we think the Lord looks like. Well, the Lord's a shepherd. Okay, well, shepherds do this thing and shepherds do that thing and this is how they look and this is how they behave. So therefore... Jesus should do this thing, and Jesus should do that thing, and this is how he should look because he's supposed to look like a shepherd. That's what happens when we say the Lord is the shepherd or the Lord is a shepherd. But that's not what this is saying. This is saying the Lord is my shepherd. And so now it's not a statement about what Jesus is like alone. It's a statement about a relationship. Now it says something about the shepherd and the sheep. It says something about the relationship and the connectivity in between them. This has something to do with this Lord, who's a shepherd, and David, who's the author. And then by extension, it should teach us something about our relationship with the Lord if we are in his flock. This is all about a lot more than just going, well, let's talk about a shepherd, and then that must be what Jesus is like. This is about the relationship. And we can learn a lot. There's a key significance in this relationship. It does explain things about shepherds. And it does explain things about sheep. And it does say some things about the relationship. Here's what we can learn about shepherds, just right from each verse. The shepherd, this shepherd, the good shepherd, and by extension, Jesus, the shepherd provides. The shepherd renews and restores life with rest. The shepherd leads Sheep to good places and gives direction. The shepherd protects and alleviates our fears. And the shepherd comforts. We can see all that just in the first four verses about the shepherd. But you can also see a whole lot about the sheep in these verses too. A lot. Because it's about a relationship. It's both sides of that. Here's what we can learn about the sheep. The sheep need provision. The sheep need rest and renewal. The sheep need direction. The sheep need protection. And the sheep need comfort. So the sheep are needy. I mean, that is a codependent relationship. It's a needy bunch. But the shepherd provides and fulfills for those needs. And we can learn a bunch about the relationship between the needy sheep and the good shepherd. 
in this relationship, we see that the shepherd lovingly provides. We see elsewhere in Scripture that he's not the bad hired hands that run away when the wolves come. He doesn't lead astray. We talked about that last week. He's the good shepherd. He's doing this right. But here's what we see with the sheep. In this relationship, we see that it requires the sheep submit to the shepherd. They don't go around thinking, well, I know better than the shepherd. I could shepherd these sheep better than that shepherd. No, they have to submit themselves to the shepherd. They have to trust the shepherd. Without the, it's, this relationship will not work. They have to follow the shepherd. It does not go well for any of them. If the shepherd's going one way and the sheep continually say, I'm going the other, that just doesn't pan out well in the end. And the sheep need to realize that, that if they don't have a shepherd, they're in serious trouble. Sheep don't function well without a shepherd because sheep are needy. Sheep need those needs fulfilled. And oftentimes, stubborn sheep will think they don't need that shepherd. Do it myself. I got this. That's the relationship. That's the, the needy relationship that in this case a sheep has with a shepherd and that we have with the Lord. Not everyone has this relationship. Not everyone says the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus said himself, there are those who are in his flock, there are those who are not in his flock, and there are those who belong to his flock, but they kind of went astray and they're out there and the shepherd has to go find them. Turn with me, we're going to be doing this probably every week because it's parallel so well, but turn with me to John chapter 10. If you're using one of those P Bibles, I see some of you are, that's going to be on page 952, so you can get there fairly quickly. John chapter 10, verses 14 through 16, have something to say about who's in, who's out, what's going on, how the shepherd sees this. Jesus says, he's talking to the, the religious people, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father. I laid out my life for the sheep, but I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. There's a lot of debate about what that means. I will say there's no reason to read this verse and think that what he's talking about are sheep that are really, really, really far off in another land, something like that. What he's saying is some are of this pen because they're found and they're here, and some are out there wandering around that need to be brought in together. And when we do that, we'll just have one big flock. There's always one. There's always one shepherd. There's not two completely different flocks that have to be brought together in some weird way. Or that he's shepherding over there half the week and shepherding over here the other week. That it's all one. We're bringing them all together. He's saying there are some that are, that are in, some that are not. The ones that are in know my voice. The ones that are lost, we're coming after. Because he came to seek and save the lost. And he's looking for those sheep. He's looking for them. Now, that's why he's here. It looks just like Ezekiel promised to the world long before Jesus' earthly ministry. If you want to start going there, it'll be Ezekiel 34, page 766 in the Pew Bible. The prophet Ezekiel, speaking inspired by God, speaking to the people of the day, and he's rebuking their shepherds. That's what we read last week about the bad shepherds, the ones that lose the sheep, lead them the wrong way, let the wolves come. They're hired hands, they run away. He's rebuking the sheep because 
excuse me, he's rebuking the shepherd because they let the sheep all scatter and they didn't take care of him. And then at the end of the rebuke, in verses 11 through 16, God says through this prophet, he says, for this is what the Lord God says. See, I myself will search for my flock and look for them. As a shepherd looks for his sheep on the day he is among his scattered flock, so I will look for my flock. And I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on the day of clouds and total darkness. I will bring them out from the people. I will gather them from the countries. I will bring them to their own soil. This looks an awful lot like Jesus, doesn't it? I will go after them. We'll bring them together in this kingdom. They will be this one flock. There were plenty of these bad shepherds who didn't do the job right, but I will be among them, with them, gathering them. And that promise came true. When the shepherd was born in a manger of all places, laid and rested, the shepherd came and saw him, and they knew, I mean, they might not have known in that moment, but one day he would be like them in so many ways, looking, seeking, rescuing those sheep. Do you know his voice? He said, my sheep know my voice. They recognize me. Means they know what he's like. How? Because they're familiar with him. They're in a relationship with him. Every day they seek to be with him because he also says they follow me. Do you know his voice? Do you hear that voice and say, yes, I'm going that way. I am following like that young woman we met out doing mission work. That's the one. I've been lost. I've been, I've been hurting. I've been looking. I've been seeking. I've been afraid. He's the one. I'm going to follow that one. I recognize. I see. You can be a part of his flock. Do you know if you are in his flock? Are you unsure? You need to be sure. And maybe you were part of his flock, but he just hasn't got a hold of you yet. You've gone a little straight. He's out going after you. He's coming for you. And maybe that's why you've found your way in here this morning. God is luring you in. Maybe that's why you're watching on the, the screen because for some reason it seems like God is drawing you. He's trying to rescue you. If that's you, why would you be spending your morning here or watching the video? It's because he's working on you. He's doing something. He's doing something. How do you become a part of his flock? You hear his voice and you follow him. Well, that's really ethereal. What does that mean? What that means is when you see him, you say, yep, he is who he says he is. That's the one. That's the good shepherd. He provides. He's the shepherd. I'm the sheep. You're admitting, I'm not that one, and I can't do this. You're saying, I'm needy. I'm a sinner. I'm afraid. I'm lost. I need Jesus. And when you do that, he welcomes you in. And then you just got to follow him. Say, I'm all in on this. We're going. We're doing it. It's not complicated. That's what it takes. Are you part of his flock? Do you hear from him? Are you following? If you'd like to talk more about that, we'd love to chat with you about it. Shoot us an email. Go to the website. Post something to us. Come out and find any one of us or the people that are sitting around you that say, I'm part of the flock. You can be a part of this flock. You can say, the Lord is my shepherd. Not a shepherd over there. My shepherd. Now that's the first part. Okay, that's, the, that's the first part of the psalm. 
Go ahead and turn back there if you kept your finger in it. That would have been convenient. This isn't difficult. Let's look at the second part of this clause. I have what I need. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. Last week, I struck a nerve with more than a few folks with some things that I said in my sermon. See, I, I think I poked at a bear maybe, but I poked at some of the things we look to for provision, for direction, for protection, and for comfort. Those things that are not Jesus. And I just want you to know, I'm an equal opportunity bear poker. <laughs> I mean, I went after them all, which probably is why I heard from so many people. I mean, you might remember... Let's see, I poked at masks, concealed weapons, gated communities, like 911 stuff, spouses, money, our ability to make money. I mean, I poked at lots of stuff. You probably remember. You probably remember. And some people ask, like, Pastor, are you saying those things are bad? Are you saying that if, if, I, if I have those things, or if I think that maybe when something happens, you know, I should have money, or I should depend on some of those things in some ways? Are you saying if I do that, I'm, I'm, I don't love Jesus? No. I'm not saying that at all. Not at all. But I'm saying that those things cannot be more important to you than Jesus. They cannot be above Jesus. You cannot depend on them more. Right? If you're looking for those things to be your shepherd, you're going to be lost forever. You need the good shepherd. If you need those things and depend on those things and fight for those things and call and argue with me about why those are the most important things for your provision, your direction, your protection, and your comfort. Man, we need to think about that because we need to see what those things are. They're not the things that, that fulfill the statement, I have what I need. You can have all the money you could ever want. That's not what you need. You could have the best protection and bodyguards walking around with you all the time and you know 50 weapons on you at any moment in case anything goes south that's not what you need not in this statement you can have the best medical care the best protection and medical thing is not what you need you can have the best spouse in the world well you couldn't because i do but the rest of you can have the second best spouse in the world still not what you need that's not it how do I know I'm right? Because I know all of those things fall short when it comes to fulfilling our ultimate need. They pale in comparison. They can't do it. Only Jesus can. So let's do a little test. Let's just play with me. Let's walk through this. Let's, let's see how this goes, okay? Here's a little game. You ready? So last week I said those things. And if you felt like one of those things hit a little close to home, Go ahead and let's pick that particular item in your mind. Or just, you remember, spouses, money, masks, guns, gated communities, uh, politics, government systems, all those things, okay? Pick one. I'm sure you remember. Pick any one of them. Pick all of them. You could take all of them together, and the outcome will still be the same. If you hold on too tightly to these things, any one of them, more than you hold on to the Good Shepherd, if those things are kind of actually what you're following and not 
the shepherd, if it's like the guy with the dog biscuit in his pocket and the dog's falling out, you're following the good shepherd because he has some money in his pocket or some protection or comfort that comes from those things, but you're not actually following the shepherd. And he takes it out of his pocket and he throws it over there. You go over there. Okay, that's what we're talking That's holding on too tightly to those things. Those things that might even be the means in which Jesus is getting us through this world, but you're holding on too tightly. When you do that, and that's where you find your your direction, your protection, your comfort. When you're doing that, let me ask you a question. What happens in that moment when you've breathed your last breath on this side of eternity? And you open your eyes and you take your first breath on the next side of eternity. And the first thing you see is God and you're standing in judgment. How helpful are any of those things? In fact, look around. Where did they go? They're gone. They won't help you one bit in that moment. Those things are only at best for this world, which is short and temporary. If you have all those things, but you don't have the good shepherd, you're in big trouble. And it is not going to go well for you. So how good are those things at providing direction, protection, comfort in the big picture? They're temporary. They're fleeting. But what if you have Jesus? What if you've got him? And then he uses some of those things. Okay, am I saying don't have any money at all? That's going to be really hard to get through this life as we're traveling through. Okay, so I'm not saying money in and of itself is the problem. How we hold on to it. I'm not saying any of those things. In fact, your spouse should not be a problem unless you put your spouse above Jesus. Spouse could be a tremendous help getting through this world. I know. I would be completely lost without one only in this world. But with Jesus, I have direction, comfort, protection, guidance for eternity. Okay, so if you die and you have all those things, but you have the good shepherd, what happens when you open your eyes in eternity? He says, I said that one could come. I paid for it. He stands in the gap. He he still continues to lead, protect, comfort, and carry us. For eternity. If you have Jesus now, you have him for eternity. If you have all the stuff, you got nothing for eternity. He might use those things to help you, but you can't have those things and truly have your needs met without Jesus. So what's your greatest need and who can meet that need? At the end of the day, when we play the test, Jesus is the only one that comes out on top. So if you don't have him, you got nothing. If you have him, you have what you need. That's how that first line works. So now let's go back to it. Psalm 23, 1. The Lord is my shepherd. You could say where that semicolon is. Therefore, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. What David has is the Lord who is his shepherd. His needs are fulfilled in the Lord. And the same is true for you and me. But we, um, we struggle with the difference between need and convenience, or need and want. We really, especially as Americans, we really struggle. We think we need a lot more than we do. I need this. I need this. So what's the test? How do we know if we have Jesus in the right position or we're holding on to the other things? I have another test for us. 
Here's some, some things to think about that would help us to understand if we have our priorities right. So we can see who we're following or what we're following. Are you ready? Let's play along again. These things are not always easy to see. You might have to think about this for time. This isn't as simple as it, as it might sound, but let's really think. Here are some questions. I have a few of them. What or who gets more of your thoughts and attention throughout the week? Okay, don't just add it up on Sunday. Let's take the whole average of all seven days. Who or what gets the majority of your attention throughout the week? What do you think about most? Or who do you think about most? Who do you read about the most? What reading do you find the most profound throughout your week? If you listen to podcasts, what are you listening to the most? What gets your attention? What do you daydream about or think about? What or who do you talk to others about the most? Favorite entertainment? Money? Guns? Medical problems, conspiracy theories, governments, this, that, or the other thing. What consumes your thoughts? What do you drift to when you're bored? What are you most excited about to talk with the people in the lobby or in here as soon as this service is over? Is it about how Jesus is changing your life this week? Something you read in his word and went, wow, I found that so profound. Some miracle you saw in some way, shape, or form. Some struggle where someone needs prayer. Or is it that you just want to talk about the last YouTube video you saw? This new gun you read about in the magazine. This conspiracy over there. This government thing. Or your gated community, which I don't think any of you live in. What is it that you're most excited to talk with me about or talk with others about as soon as the service is over? Man, I can't tell you how much I long for the day when I'm just getting bombarded with, man, God's really working in this way in my life. Look at this. Look at that. Man, that would be amazing. What do you have to encourage or edify another brother or sister in Christ with today in the lobby? Who is it or what is it? That was just the first question, by the way. Just... The second question, who or what gets most of your time. And you go, well, I work. I've, I work. Yeah, that doesn't count. You're a pastor. No, I, I've worked in jobs where I'm not a pastor. I can be working, and I can still work to the glory of God. I can, I can prioritize that I'm doing the work, and yet God is still in some way central and, and focused in that. Who gets most of your time? I can't tell you how many times I hear, and it kills me. People say, I don't have any time to read the Bible. I don't have any time to join a fellowship group. I don't have any time to, to serve in this way or worship. with them. I don't have any time to know who Jesus is and do any of that. And I say, well, what do you do with your time? And, and man, they have plenty of time, obviously, to watch all their favorite Netflix programs. I'm like, you don't have any time? No, you just didn't prioritize right. So have you ever read the entire Bible? Man, who has time for that? You're telling me you have zero time. I mean, you must, you must really be tapped because you've seen all the marvel movies three times like come on it's not about having the time it's about what you give your time to and that will tell you where jesus exists in your life and if he's shepherding you or if you're looking to other things i could say i could say 
If you're not reading your Bible on a regular basis, I would say a daily basis. If you've never read all of the Bible, if you've never gone through that, if you can't seem to find time to read one chapter, one paragraph a day, you need to cancel your Netflix account and all your other streaming accounts and you need to get off all your social media and all your YouTube and cancel your cable and shut off the radio. At least until you've read a chapter, until you've given it three minutes, then you can go to that. I mean, I could say that, but if I did, I'd get a whole bunch of emails justifying why I was wrong and why I gotta have my escape into entertainment. And if I don't have that, I might kill my kids. Well, okay, you're making my point. You're making my point. Who do you turn to or what do you turn to for these things? So I'm just gonna let the Holy Spirit whisper those things in your ears and you can send him an email if you have a problem. What or who are you excited to give your talent and treasure to? You got skills, you got talent. Are you serving your brothers and sisters? I saw that this week. We were helping somebody, medical situation, needed a power of attorney, needed information. We were able to call, a person was able to help. We needed to find the notary, person had connections. We had the mission team here and someone's like, well, I know how to fix a car, but I don't have the tool. Like, you have skills and talents. Can help with parenting things or art things or crafty things or I mean somebody in here probably needs glitter glued to something and somebody else in here knows how to do it. We weren't mentioning names. <laughs> I said somebody. What are you giving your talent and your treasure to and your skills? How is that going for you? Who is the object or what is the object of your greatest affection? I mean, you love this thing or that thing. That's your worship. I got one more. This one's going to take a little work, and I would encourage you to work on it. What or who are you submitted to? What do you trust? Who do you trust? Who do you follow? Because you listen to that thing, whether it's a chatterbox of something or an actual person with a voice. Who do you listen to? Who do you trust? Who are you submitted to, surrendered to? Who do you obey? For a lot of us, it's me, myself, and I. You're saying you're your own shepherd. We just saw that sheep are needy, and that doesn't work. So if that's you, you still need a shepherd, a good one. Jesus says he's the good shepherd. I know... I know this is a tough question. I know it can be difficult. A while back, I downloaded an app on my phone. And then a week later, I took it off my phone because I hated it. I downloaded an app that shows you what you do with your time on your phone. <laughs> like how much screen time and what you're doing. And, and then it gives you a report. I downloaded it, didn't do anything. Then I opened it up a week later. That was shocking. Apparently, I don't have a phone. Apparently, I have a whole bunch of gadgets and gizmos and apps that just happen to have a phone and text and computer with it, because obviously, I'd use, I don't think I used the calculator once that week, but I definitely wasn't using it. I was using things that were not helpful, and it was really eye-opening. It was shocking. I think we need an app like that in our lives to see what really we're giving all of our heart and our affection and our thoughts and our mind and our strength to. We're supposed to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength. And then you take the app and you go, whoa, I dropped the ball. That's what's happening here. We need that in our life. Paul, 
shares this wonderful examination of exactly what we're talking about. It's in the third chapter of Philippians. You don't need to go there. I'm going to assign homework, actually. And I know you can all make time to do it. (laughs) See what I did? Um, He's saying, like, he comes to a point where he says, look, all the things in my life have got to be surrendered to Jesus. And he eventually gets to a point where he says, I count all of that as loss in contrast to, in light of Jesus. Okay, I have this stuff, and then Jesus comes in, and this stuff looks like nothing. His word, in fact, in verse 8 was, it looked like dung. And for you little kiddos in here, you have no idea, that's poo-poo. That's what he compared everything else, all of his accomplishments, all his degrees, all of his mind, his skills, his talent, everything in his life, in light of Jesus and his glory, looked like dung. And so he set a goal, because now it all looked pointless and worthless. He set a goal to know Christ and his surpassing glory above all of it. But he also shared, which I am thankful for, he also shared that he wasn't there yet. He still struggled. He still was working at it. But he wanted the better thing, not the worse. So my homework for you is that you, maybe even at lunch today, would read Philippians chapter 3 and read it two or three times and meditate on it and think about it and pick it up a little bit later and then we can go, oh yeah, because I think that's a good encouragement for all of us. We should want to know and see the surpassing glory of Jesus Christ above all the rest so that everything else in this world starts to look a little more like poo-poo. Now, it's not that those things are, but up close to the king of glory, they sure don't look too fantastic. If you have Jesus, you have all that you need. Your homework is Philippians chapter 3. And when you do that, you'll see you don't need all the other stuff. You might want it. It might be convenient. It might be a helpful resource. God might even be providing it to you to journey through this life, but you don't need it because you need the good shepherd. All the other stuff just looks pretty short. It just doesn't do it. Years ago, my wife got this gift certificate. She worked downtown in a fancy hotel, and she either won or was somehow she got this gift certificate to the nicest restaurant in Salt Lake City back then, 20 years ago. And it was a nice restaurant, and it was extremely expensive. It had high-quality chefs, the whole bit. So I ordered the cheapest thing on the menu, because that's what I do. And uh, it was a basic plate of pasta. It was $75. It was probably the pasta, I'm sure, was made fresh that day. They probably cut it all by hand. You know, it's not break your dry stuff, throw it in a pot. It was, I mean, it was serious. They hand cut everything. The ingredients were probably made to absolute perfection. It was probably made to order when I ordered it. And I have to tell you, it was completely amazing. I mean, it was like mind-blowing pasta. It was fan. We loved it, and then we realized just how poor we are because we can't ever eat like that again. However, it was awesome. And then after dinner, we had some friends that were at a nearby restaurant, and we were going to go and say hi, a group of friends. So we went over there to go see them. And I had just eaten this amazing pasta dish, and somebody at the restaurant, one of my friends, had ordered basically the same pasta dish made at this other restaurant that you know was more in my budget and where regular people eat. And I probably would have ordered that dish if I had gone there and probably enjoyed it. But after what I had just eaten, I'm looking at this same dish on the plate of my friend, 
And I'm not kidding, it looked like 59 cent canned generic SpaghettiOs. I mean, I was just like, whoa, I can't believe you're eating that. I mean, it just, it looked so gross. What made it look gross? I normally would have eaten it and had no problem, and I'm sure probably most of you have eaten it because it's a popular restaurant. The problem was the other pasta was so amazing, it made this pasta look like SpaghettiOs, which is Hebrew for dung. Let me put it another way. Let me just put it this way we can all relate to. A McDonald's hamburger doesn't look so great next to a $25 burger made by a world-class chef, does it? That's the reality we're talking about here. And most of us seem to want the McDonald's hamburger and not that high-dollar, high-end, chef-made burger. That's the problem. If the things that you are relying on for your provision, direction, protection, and comfort if they don't look to you like necessary tools to get through this world, but certainly not even close to being as amazing as Jesus, then you probably need to get your priorities reoriented and you need to begin cherishing the good shepherd. Maybe you're not cherishing him enough. But you just need to hear and follow and this will happen. You need to get closer to him. Get close enough to him that everything else looks like rubbish. It will be worth it. If you have Jesus, you have everything you need. If you have Jesus, you have everything you need. And when this starts, when this is true in your life, then you truly can say, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you created us needy, that you created us dependent on you, Lord. Because if we were dependent on ourselves, we'd be doomed. If we trusted ourselves, we'd be in trouble. If we trusted others in creation, we would be lost. And many of us in this world are, maybe even some of us in this room. God, I am asking that you would reorient our priorities and our eyes and our affection and our desires and our trust to be centered perfectly and completely on you. We know the rest of the stuff is there and it's helpful in this world, but it will not be there when we stand before you, only Jesus. And so Lord, let us use these things to help us continue to follow you even better and to serve you better and to know you better and to love you better. These are just things, ideas, various leaders you've put in place. Even Lord, our spouses whom we love and cherish, may we not love them more than we love you that you would be the center focal point of our life that we target our life to and we follow you because you fulfill all the things that we need. God, sometimes that's a struggle, even like Paul said. But Lord, we want to see your surpassing glory in this life even before we get to see it face to face in the next. Oh God, I thank you so much that you do shepherd your people. May we be in that flock, and may we be so grateful that you are our good shepherd. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit redeeminglifeutah.org.